So reading today from Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. And this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So my first point uh, today, and I just have three points, so be quick, uh, is that his mercy, God's mercy, changes our devotion. His mercy changes our devotion. For some of us, for many of us, what needs to change in our hearts is our devotion. And, and I'm using devotion almost as a synonym for what Paul talks about here, which is worship. Which is worship. How many loved worship today, by the way? TK. That dude was blessed, right? Some of y'all thought, thought that was me, right, for a second. You're like, is that O'Toole? And I know I have a similar voice to him, but, um, but I want to talk today about worship a little bit because I think uh, we, we cannot understand um, the purpose of our lives as disciples if we don't understand that we're called to be worshipers of God. And so when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, I actually love that imagery because I was thinking about sacrifices in ancient Near East and what the Israelites used to do. And, and what they would do is, right, they, you know, they would um, burn different animals or fragrances. And the Bible described it at times as being a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Y'all ever hear that phrase? A pleasing aroma to God. You ever wonder why I said that? And what I learned is that actually when they did a lot of the meal sacrifices, what they did is they would add frankincense to it. And what happens to frankincense when it starts to heat up is that it literally releases this beautiful fragrance. And it literally smells good. And I thought about, you know, the incense they would burn in the holies of holies right in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and it would release this pleasing smell. And they had a lot of other sacrifices that released pretty nasty smells as well. And the Israelites weren't the only ones, right, sacrificing things back then. All, for the most part, the ancient Near East cultures had sacrifices. And what they did is they showed who they worshipped or what they were devoted to. And so I was actually making a joke this week, and I was like, you know, so if you were sitting in a bar and you were with a bunch of uh, you know, different religious leaders from different uh, religions, you would know actually who they serve, what God they worship, who they're devoted to, simply by how they smell. Interesting, right? And I wondered, you know me, if it's similar for us. If people can see the smell the aroma of your life and then know who you're devoted to and know who you worship. And so I was, uh, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, every once in a while, people come up to me and they say, you know, David, you're just so good with people. Like, David, you're just so funny and relatable. And I'm just so awkward. Like, how do you do it? That's what they say to me all the time. I get this every week. And what I usually say to them, my answer usually is I say, um, I say, Joe, um, I'll give you a piece of advice. This is what I do. I say, when I'm meeting somebody, especially a new person, what I do is I ask them a lot of questions 
about themselves. And while I'm doing that, I'm trying to figure out what they're passionate about. I'm trying to figure out, like, what they really, really like, like what really grinds their gears, you know what I'm saying? And then when I figure that thing out, I kind of, like, steer the conversation that way and just let them talk. And it's nice because you kind of, like, tune them out, and it's like, they're just going, going, it's really nice, you know what I'm saying? It's a good strategy. But, but in all seriousness, I, like, I know a lot of you guys, and I know what topics you're fascinated about. Like, I know a lot of you guys, and within five, ten minutes, like, it just radiates out of you. What you care about. You kind of smell like it. You, you see what I'm saying? What's important to us, what, what, what we're devoted to, the things that we worship, will radiate out of our lives. And the people around us, it won't be hard for them to be like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you care about that. And so I've been meaning to tell you guys this, South Loop. You guys smell. You know what I'm saying? Like all of you guys smell and you have a certain aroma about your life. And the question is, do you smell like Christ? When people are around you, do they say, man, this person is passionate about their faith? It's kind of weird. I think they actually really believe what that book says. Oh my goodness, they, they actually pray and think something's going to happen. They, they radiate some weird vibes to me. Is that what people say about your life? Do you smell like the one you say that you worship? And Paul, you know, says that we all Worship. It's not just the songs on the screen, but it's a song of our lives. It's more than simply actions. It's an attitude. It's a disposition. And he makes it obvious that true worship and devotion involves sacrifice. And so it makes sense that whatever we sacrifice the most for is what we also worship the most. I was thinking about actually... uh, Wayne Chen, remember Wayne Chen, the missionary who came, the bald one from Papua New Guinea, I think. And he had this analogy he used a little bit about this, where he was saying, you know, oftentimes uh, we treat God as one passion among many. And he says that we say, you know, God, I'm devoted to you, and I worship you, but I'm also devoted to a lot of things, but you're number one. And he said, think about that for a second. Like, if you have a spouse or a significant other and you told that spouse, yo, I'm devoted to you, you're number one, right above the neighbor's wife or, or right above, the, you know, the lady that checks out our groceries or, or, or the, the cute librarian. Oh, you're number one, but you're like, you know, you're one on the list of many of my passions and devotion. I'm not married. I just feel like she won't like that, though. Like, that'd be like a hit list for her, right? And I, and, I, and I think that what's important for us to understand is that Paul is saying your whole life must be a sacrifice to God. There can be nothing else on the same tier. And don't get me wrong. I'm, some of y'all are like, well, I could be passionate about things and not worship it. I agree. You could be passionate about your 
career and not worship your career. You can be passionate about your family and not worship your family. But in the same way, can't you be passionate about God and not worship God? And so I think, some of y'all look mad at me. I'm I'm only getting started. Because to me, there's a difference. There's a nuance here. I'm just going to get off the notes a little bit. There's a nuance here between saying, you know, I'm, I love my job, I love my career, and I love the Lord. And saying, I love the Lord, and that's why I do my career. Or even, this is, this one we, we'll see how this one goes. I'm devoted to my family, I love my family. Oh, and I love the Lord. And they say, actually, I love the Lord, and that's why I'm devoted or I love my family. Because what if God called you to leave your career? And what if God forbid your family even forsakes you for following him? Who is it that you worship? And who is it that you're devoted to? That's the question. And so I know, I know for us, you know, you feel convicted and you're like, if our hearts, are, if God is not truly the object of worship in our hearts, then what do we do, right? How do we change? That's a question. And what does this have to do with grace? Because it don't sound like grace so far, right? I like the word devotion for me because uh, it has Latin roots, and it comes from the phrase to make vows. And for me, I immediately thought of a wedding, right? And the climax of the ceremony of a wedding is when two people look at each other and they say, I betrothed myself to you. I devote myself to you. Not because I feel pressure to or because I have to, because I love you. I was thinking of a story in the Gospels when a religious leader comes up to Jesus and he knows the law very well and he wants to test Jesus. So he says, yo, I know all these commandments and you know all these commandments. Which one's the greatest one? And what does Jesus say? Anybody? Love the Lord, right? with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And all the other ones, right, follow this one. That's what Jesus says. Love the Lord is the greatest commandment. And this is so important because it actually helps us focus a little bit what we're called to do once again. It's to love the Lord. It's to worship the Lord. Why? Because, because for us, you only make true vows to the one you truly love. And so for us, the only way your, love, your worship of God will grow is if your love for God grows. Does that make sense? That you're not supposed to try to build up this self-reliance or this self-control to worship God. All you're supposed to do is grow in your love for God. And when you grow in your love for God, your worship will naturally follow. And so this is when we could talk finally a little bit about grace. You see, I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I think about um, God's mercy, that's what makes my heart soft. That's what makes me want to love him. That's what makes me want to worship. I'm not talking about faith. We talk about faith a lot in church. And faith is important, right? Have faith in this. I'm talking about love. You know what I'm saying? 
like, like your heart beats kind of fast. Pupils dilated. You feel like butterflies in your stomach. Right? A feeling of ecstasy in their presence. Love. Your affections being moved. Not, not coming to a conclusion that the validity of Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Like, you love the Lord. You feel me? And I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know about you guys. I don't love the Lord unless I think about his mercy in my life. When I step back and I remember, man, look at this platform that God has given me, and so often I've abused it. Look at all the opportunities God has given me, and so often I have failed to live up to the call he's given me. I preach this word, and I go home, and I don't do half the things I say. And I look at my life, and I feel and wrestle with shame almost every single day of my life. And I remember, though, the mercy of God in his word. That he literally, he tells us, if you're heading east, I will take your sin and shame and all the things the devil tries to use to define you, and I'll tell it to head west. You feel me? He, he says, like, he says, I am with you. I rejoice over you with gladness. I will quiet your, your unsteady heart with my love. I will delight over you with singing. God sings over us. Do you see his grace in the midst of the things that we have done? It's when we feel like our affections are being stolen by things of this world, when our worship is going to tangible, material things, I would encourage you to set aside a moment to remember the mercy of the Lord. And I'm telling you, if you do that, not even your insecurities will keep you from having a life of worship. I could tell that people in your life, whether they like it or not, will look at you and say, man, this person is devoted to Jesus. They kind of smell like him. And so his mercy changes our devotion and our worship. Point two, his mercy changes our dependence. Romans 12, looking at verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so for many of us, what needs to change is our dependence, or maybe who we're dependent on. We need to have our minds renewed. Last week, I was reading an article, and it says that Cell phone addiction is about to officially be included on the manual of mental disorders. And they were, you know, giving us a little bit of benchmarks or metrics for how you know you're addicted to something. And they said, you know, there's a relationship between your dependence on that thing, right, and your addiction. And one way you measure dependence is you literally can track all the times that you turn to that thing first when you are in certain situations or to alleviate certain discomforts. So if you're bored, right, what do you turn to first? Or if you're tired, what do you turn to first? Or if you're, you know, whatever, what do you turn to first? And I'm not saying this to, like, convince y'all you're addicted to your cell phones. Uh, I already know y'all addicted to your phones. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm mostly saying this to kind of give a working definition of what dependence looks like, an image. 
The first thing you turn to to alleviate maybe discomfort or a situation you don't like. And I want you to have this image in your head uh, because Paul does something interesting in Romans 12. uh, Kind of back in the first verse in the beginning, he says, what? I appeal to you, therefore. In another version, he says, I urge you. And I looked up that word appeal and urge, and I found out it's in the Greek, it's parakaleo, which its classic usage is actually one of an army commander exhorting his troops for war. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Paul is talking about holiness in these couple of verses. He's talking about what we're talking about. Can we change and how? And he said it's of utmost importance for you guys to understand on this topic of holiness that it's like entering a war. That you are in a battle. You see what I'm saying? You know, and I won't be too real. I feel like I'm not going to like me anymore. But like, I, I just feel like sometimes we leave this place and we forget we're in a fight. Like we forget there's a dragon, a lion, not made of flesh and blood, whose sole purpose is that you would never change into a greater disciple of Christ. And he's opposing you. And I'm telling you guys, the enemy is attacking Pastor Steve. And the enemy is attacking Alex when he comes and leads worship. And the enemy is attacking this church. And if you don't believe me, you will believe me soon enough. And the question that we have to ask then is in those moments where we feel attacked, in over our head, discouraged, What are we dependent on? What is the first thing we turn to? And to be real, if you're like me, you scheme and you plan and you try to make strategies for how you can be better or how you can fix the situation. That's the first thing you turn to. And you put on an armor, an insufficient armor of self-reliance, a breastplate of self-righteousness. You feel me? Like a sword of, of spirituality, shield of fake obedience. And you're trying just to do everything in your own power to fight against an enemy who will slaughter you by yourself. And so the question, once again, is, is it possible that the first thing we should turn to that in which we should be dependent on is the Lord in prayer. And why is it that we know that, but we don't do it, right? Like, I thought I was just preaching this to y'all last time I was here, right, that we should be dependent on the Lord. But they keep bringing me back. I'm going to keep preaching it. Like, we should be dependent on the Lord. You, you cannot change yourself. I'm telling you, you some of you, You think you can, I'm telling you, you cannot. You do not have the self-control. You do not have the discipline. You cannot change yourself. You cannot make yourself a better disciple. You might make some steps, you will plateau, and then you will die exhausted from trying. You need the power and the armor of the Lord to protect you, to fight your battle, and to transform you. And so when we find ourselves in this place, 
when we're not looking up to God and being like, yo, I'm, I'm losing, I'm about to lose, I need your help. Once again, what is it that we can do and how does his mercy help us? I was thinking about, um, I was in junior high and I was at this youth retreat. We had this game where it's like you're in this like tube and it had two handles on it and you're in this ring with another person. Your job was to like run and to like bump each other, it's like a sumo wrestling game. Right? As I put one on, you know, I was facing this guy. He's a little bit shorter than me. And y'all know who I am. I'm like extra, right? As I had this great plan in my head, I was just going to run, close my eyes, and then jump. The problem is that this dude was like, like, was, like I said, shorter than me. And his plan was to run and also close his eyes, but not jump. Two guys, both dumb, right? So this is me here. I'm running, close my eyes, and I jump. And he runs, closes his eyes, and just runs straight. And so I have such good hops, right, that I almost, like, clear him, but not quite. And so he kind of gets to the tip of my legs, and my head goes from, like, here to here. Like, I'm this to the ground. And I'm in the tubes, right, so I can't break my fall. And I just land out on my head, and I'm just, like, out cold. Yeah. The next thing I remember is my pastor, like, flashing lights in my face and, like, slapping me, right? Like, waking me up. And I'm, like, kind of out of him. And it's, like, maybe 2 a.m. or, like, maybe even 3 a.m. in the morning. And so he calls my mom. And he talks to her for a little bit, and he puts me on the phone. He's, like, yeah, this is your mom. I just called her. It's weird because she was already awake, I think. I was, like, okay, that's weird. So I grabbed the phone and I talked to her and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I can't remember anything before now, but I'm okay. Um, and she's like, you know, talking to me, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I heard you were awake. Why were you awake? She's like, oh yeah, God woke me up an hour ago and told me to start praying for you. So I've been praying. And then your pastor called. I was like, of course he did. Of course he did. Woke you up an hour ago. But I share this story because one, I want to honor my mom on Mother's Day. But two, when I think about my testimony of faith, why I'm standing here in front of you guys, I'm like, I didn't do anything, really. Like, I didn't do anything to be born to a mother who actually believes in the power of prayer. Even in her older age, when she prays, she gets down on her knees. When I got her a new smartphone, the first thing she asked me to do was to download the Bible app and teach her how to plug in her headphones so she could listen to the Bible throughout the day as she did other things. When I called her two months ago being like, I feel like I shouldn't be a pastor because God feels far from me and I'm not sure I'm qualified, she reminded me of all the times he has answered the prayers of our family so I could remember his mercy. And she's like, he is the one that will do it through you. I didn't pick to be born with a mother, with a father, with a family, with the church that has lifted me up all the times that I've been down. I didn't plan to have God answer even the prayers that I didn't have the courage to pray to him. Yet when I take a moment and I think and I reflect on his mercy in my testimony of faith, 
I say, you know what? I do believe I could depend on him. And I encourage you guys to do the same thing. Some of you have even more amazing testimonies than me of desperate prayers you prayed to the Lord. And he answered you at your lowest moments. And won't that same God be there for you when you need him the most? When the enemy is attacking you and lying to you, when you feel in over your head, when you're in a war, can you not turn to him first and depend on him to be your shield? The Lord says to us that he would fight our battles and that he's in our midst and that he is mighty to save. And so I truly believe, I truly believe that when we gaze upon his mercy, it could change what we depend on because we'll have our faith in him. And so last, I'll end with this. God's mercy changes our discernment. End of Romans 12, the second half. Um, Paul says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'll go a little bit off script. So I... This sermon series on if we can really change, I have to say this, is going to be powerless for you if you're not willing to take a moment and hold up a mirror to your life and discern what it is about your life that God may want to change. You see what I'm saying? Telling you he can change you or even how he can change you is powerless if you don't know what it is he's trying to change. And I think it's difficult for us at times. And let's be churchy for a moment. Let's, I'm not trying to make a clever point. I'm just trying to be real. Like, we have to look at Jesus and say, does my life look like him? Like, do not, do not compare yourself to the American church or American Christianity. Because it often does not smell like Jesus. And do not rely on us as leaders, because I'm telling you, 10 times out of 10, we will disappoint you. Look to Jesus, and the Bible says, examine yourself and see if you are in the same faith. And if the truth is that you do not pass the test, confess to him, to the church, but honestly to yourself. And it's a scary task for us to do, I think, at times, because we know if we were to really, really share the things that has held us back from being true disciples, we're scared, will we actually still be loved? That's always the fear. And so I want to I end with this. This Mother's Day, I actually thought of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there's a scene uh, in The Passion of Christ, which I try to watch every Easter to remind myself of the Passion of Christ. And there's a scene where Mary sees Jesus and he's carrying his cross. 
And by this point, he's already beaten and battered and bruised. And there's a crown that's been pressed in his head. And he's already bleeding. He's half dead at this point. And he's carrying this cross. And at some point, it's just so heavy, he, he just falls. And in this movie, Mary sees Jesus, and she almost has this flashback for him when he was a child. And so she runs to him, says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And she asks him, you know, when are you going to put an end to this suffering that you're going through? And Jesus looks at her, and he says, don't you see that I'm making all things new? And I say that because Jesus suffered so that you would be changed. Not before. He showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I remember the mercy of Jesus on the cross and how he suffocated for me, I am willing to discern and to confess even the deepest corners of my heart because I actually believe he will love me. If no one else will, I believe he will love me still. And that is enough for me. And I pray it's enough for you. My prayer for you guys, a lot of you guys, is that you just remember the mercy of God. I mean, he's done some amazing things in your life. I don't even know half of it. Remember that. And I think when you gaze upon the mercy of God, you will have uh, the security to discern the dark corners and confess it to him. And I believe when you gaze upon the mercy of God, you will have the strength then to also... um, Rely on him and pray to him in your times of trouble. And I believe when you gaze upon the mercy of God, you will have the faith to devote your life to him and to worship him with your life. And so let's come right now to him in prayer.